a copy of God's Word with you today. Open up to Matthew's Gospel, if you would. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 again. And we're going to start reading in verse 13. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. And today we're going to talk about uh, a couple of very familiar images that, that Christ uses to describe Christians. And, and they're familiar, familiar because each of us comes into contact with these things each and every day, but also because we have probably heard and read uh, Jesus' description of Christians using these terms many times. But what exactly do they mean, and how do we fulfill those roles in our lives? Well, uh, Jesus' words are quite pregnant with meaning, so uh, I want to just dive in and, and look at this with you. I know you just got set down, but go ahead and stand back up out of honor of God's Word. We're just going to read a few verses, starting in verse 13. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, Jesus starts out uh, this section of teaching, like I said, with a very familiar, uh, very familiar picture of us as Christians, and he calls Christians salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, that is something I can identify with because I love salt. Does anybody like salt besides me? I know my wife does. I mean, we, we sold everything. I'm one of those people, you know, there are certain people out there, they'll eat something, they'll taste something, and then if it needs additional seasoning, they'll put it on. And then there are other people, whenever they sit down to eat, they'll just put, you know, salt and pepper on everything before they even taste it. That's the kind of person that I was and still want to be. I, I, I like salt, but I'm trying to cut back. Now, people at work have given me a hard time because I salt basically everything. And the other day they were uh, they were razzing me because I had salt in my food. I didn't put uh, a whole bunch, but none of them put salt on anything. And so I'm the only one in there that does it. And they were they were telling me how bad it was for me and all these things. And and I acknowledge that's true, but I told them I was basically doing it for science because one day when they were dead, they were going to be bug food, but I was going to be preserved for generations. And so um, I, I like salt, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about uh, how much seasoning we put on our food. So what's he talking about? Well, just observe a few things with me as we look at uh, verse 13 and, and, and following. Notice first he does not tell us to become salt. He doesn't tell us to become light. He says, this is what you are. So this is applicable both to the salt and the light. Whether you like it or not, if you are a Christian, you are salt and light. Whether you like it or not, you are uh, a... a you are a witness for Christ. See, the question isn't about if. The question is one of degree. It's one of how much. You're salt. The question is how salty are you? The question isn't are you light or not. You're light. The question is how bright does that light shine? See, we're all witnesses for Christ as, as, as believers. The question is are we good witnesses for him or not? Has, have you ever told somebody you're a Christian and they, they raise their eyebrows and say, oh, that, that, that may be a clue. The second observation I, I make about this is he says, you are the salt of the, and if you, 
If you mark in your Bible, you might uh, make a note of these two words. He says, you are the salt of the what? Earth, and you are the light of the world. Now, those are parallel terms, but, but it's important because if our, salt, if our saltiness or our lightiness is going to do any good, it's got to come into contact with somebody else, right? And we, we can't just hide it, hide it, you know, our four no more. We can't just keep it inside the church walls. He doesn't say you're the salt of the church. He doesn't say you're the light of the church. He says you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Our role as Christians is not to come here to church and that's it. Our role as Christians is to go out, on, out into the world and be his witnesses. So what does it mean that we are the salt of the earth? Well, what was salt used for back then? One thing it was used for was preservation as a preservative. Now, the climate over there is, is very hot. It's a, a desert climate. So if, I mean, and we, we're familiar with heat here in Missouri, right? You remember last year it was so terrible. And, and boy, if, if there was anything that died, I mean, something out there in the woods would die, and we get smelled up at the house. And it didn't take very long for it to happen. Now, here in the road, you know, we have all kinds of Texas speed bumps, you know, the armadillos, and, and people would hit them. And it wouldn't take just a day or two, and it was thinking up here. Well, it's kind of like that all the time over in Palestine. If something was dead, especially some sort of meat, it would begin to break down and putrefy and, and, and get rancid very quickly. So one of the things that they would do is they would, they would take their meat, and you all have smelled a rotten fish, right? That's one of the main meats that they ate. They would take their meat, a fish for instance, and they would pack it in salt just like farmers used to cure ham in, in much the same way. And, and so that salt would slow down things going bad. It wouldn't stop it altogether, but it would slow it down a lot. And that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. As Christians, being in the world, we're supposed to slow down the moral decay, the moral putrefaction, the moral rottenness in the world. I don't think I probably have to uh, cite any examples of how far this world has gone, do I? I mean, if you just look at the news, watch most anything on TV, read most anything that's, that's published today, uh, listen about any of the music, I mean, this world is in a bad state of affairs. And part of the role of Christians is to slow down that moral corruption around us. How do we do that? Well, um, by being a good witness, by living for Christ, by standing up for what is good and wholesome in the world. So how's that going to look? It's going to look like not doing the things the Bible says don't do. What does the Ten Commandments say? Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. In Galatians 5, Paul says, don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. And he defines that as immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, he says, just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, there's all this stuff the Bible says don't do. So don't do it. That's pretty simple, right? But then on the positive side, there are certain things the Bible says to do. Love your neighbors, love your neighbors yourself. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Help the less fortunate around you. Spread the gospel. All these things, if we will do them... We will be good witnesses. Now, what, did, what does this teaching come right after? If you have your Bible still open, hopefully do look up at the verses right before this. Your Bible probably has a heading over the first few verses that say, 
the Beatitudes. Remember, blessed are the so-and-so, for they shall receive such-and-such. If you will live the Beatitudes out, you're going to be salty and you're going to be lighty. So let's say that you and your friends are standing around. Let's just uh, put this into kind of a concrete example. Let's say you and your friends are standing around and some of them decide, you know what, we're going to go out and we're going to booze around. We're going to go out, we're going to do whatever it is. And you know that's not going to make God happy. You know you shouldn't be doing it. How's this going to look? Well, real simply, are you going to go? No. Are you going to take part in it? No. Now, you can't be the Holy Spirit and you can't say, none of you all should go because, you know, and if you do, and, and you know, you can't, you can't bring conviction to their hearts. We can say, you know what, you guys, you may go and do it, but you're going to do it without me. And I've noticed in life that when somebody stands up for something, it's a lot easier for somebody else to do it too. And you may be that person that somebody else needs because they don't have the, the courage to stand up and do what's right on their own. But they can say, yeah, you know what, I don't think I better do that. I, I, you know, my parents would kill me or whatever. My, I, I don't want my pastor to find out. I, that God just wouldn't be happy. Take a stand. Let's say as a Christian, somebody comes into your life, you have an opportunity to show love and compassion to them. How's this going to look? By showing love and compassion to them. I mean, it's being a good witness. So we're supposed to be a preservative. We're supposed to slow down the moral decay. But also, uh, most people use salt for what? Seasoning, right? Most of us don't pack our own food. We don't preserve it. As Christians, we should add zest and flavor to the world. Now, are there? has anybody here ever gone off salt altogether? And if you do, it's okay. Don't nothing to be ashamed of. I personally, there are some things I can. Mm, it's tough to eat without some salt. I mean, Mrs. Dash and all that. You know, it just is not the same. Two of those things are eggs and taters. Eggs and taters, I almost cannot eat without some salt because eggs don't taste like anything, right? It's it's just so bland. There's nothing there. You can pepper it up all you want. If it doesn't have some salt, it's it just isn't fit to eat. Now, Christ, life without Christ is bland at best and bad at worst. It's like an egg with no salt. But Christ changes all that. He brings joy and meaning and purpose to life where there wasn't any before. And and you know what? There are a lot of Christians who, you know, they we sing. I got the joy, 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 where at? Down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 down in my heart. Down in my heart, what? To stay. No, let that sucker out. People keep it in their heart, they'll never let it get to their face. I mean, a lot of Christians look like they were weaned on pickle juice, and it ought not be that way. Now, there are a lot of things to get, to get a person down in life. There are a lot of bad things going on. But remember, Jesus has overcome the world. We should add some zest. We should have some joy in our lives. Now, I want, I want to move on, but I want you to look at our text again. Look at verse 13. The second part of it. Well, let's read the whole thing. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, Jesus talks about salt losing its 
savor or losing its taste or becoming tasteless. I want you to notice here that it does not say salt stops being salt. Okay, he's not saying you can lose your salvation. He's saying that you as a Christian can stop acting like a Christian. Now, we in modern times, this idea of salt losing its saltiness is a foreign idea. It's a foreign concept because our salt is pure, but most of the salt that they used was stuff like this. It didn't come in a Morton's container, but this is real big right now. Has anybody seen this? Sea salt. We think we're moving ahead. This is what they did 2,000 years ago. They used sea salt. This from the Mediterranean, they used Mediterranean sea salt. They used uh, uh, dead sea salt. And what would happen is all this stuff comes into the sea, and uh, uh, the sun would shine down, and that water would evaporate, and it would leave salt. But it wasn't just salt. It was impure salt. It was salt that was uh, mixed with, with certain elements from the earth, minerals and different things. And because of that, there's real salt in here, but when it's exposed to the sun, when it's exposed to the weather, that salt will leach away, and all it leaves is a bunch of minerals and basically dirt. Now, I'm no chef, but dirt on food doesn't make it any better, right? And it's like that with what they were using it back then for. Uh, no salt was there. It's just the impurities that were left. They couldn't use it for anything. It was no good. They threw it out. And so Jesus is saying, when you stop acting like a Christian, you're not going to be worth a whole lot. It's just like sea salt that's lost its savor. Now, it's interesting to me that the word that Jesus uses here, put this down here out of the way, the word that Jesus uses here, look at verse 13. It says, um, but if the salt has become tasteless, and that word that's used there in Greek is the same root that we get our English word moron from. He's saying, if salt has become foolish, what does that mean? Well, I think what he's getting at is when Christians play the fool, when we go along with the world, when we stop living like we're supposed to, like we know that we should, we lose our testimony. You lose your saltiness. And he says, what good are you, what good are you then? As one commentator put it, we must be different if we want to make a difference. You can salt just about anything, but you can't salt salt. So, okay. So he talks about salt. We're to be the salt of the earth. But then he moves on to another common element. That's one of light. Now, he says that we are the light of the world. Now, that's, that's saying a lot because elsewhere he says he's the light of the world. And, of course, Jesus is not walking around flesh and blood. But we as his, as his followers, as his representatives, we are. So he has given us the task of being his light. We're supposed to represent him. Now, what do you use light for? Well, what's this used for? And I'll find this in people's eyes if I think that they're sleeping. So if you see me pointing at somebody, you know I think you're sleeping. What's this for? What do you use this for? It's to illuminate things. It's to make it to where you can see. I always get the one that has the dead batteries. Don't you ever get that? It makes me so mad. I had never used this flashlight before. It, it was shining brightly when I put it in my truck. Today I went out to get it. I pushed the button. Nothing happened. I think little fingers may have pushed the button before me and ran my batteries down. But we use this to light the way. Now, they didn't have LED flashlights back then. Instead, what they used, your Bible may 
translate that as a candle. They didn't have candles back then. Instead, they would use something like this. It's a, it's a lamp. Now, some of them look kind of like this. Most of them weren't quite this deep. They were a little shallower, and they put olive oil in here. And then sometimes they put a wick in this end, or sometimes they just let it float around. Kind of like your old kerosene lamps. They would wick up, it'd wick up the, uh, the fuel and keep burning. Well, that's what they would do. They'd put a wick in here, light it, and it would, it would uh, give off light. Be a lot better, a lot easier to use one of these and have to carry something like this around. But this is what they had. And so Jesus says, "You are the light of the world," and that's the image that he's using there. Now, why do we use a flashlight, or why did they use a lamp? It was to dispel darkness. It was to light the way. It was to illuminate things. Now. I want to apply this. We're, we're going to get more in-depth into it in just a minute, but I want to apply this specifically because this is about as real life as you can get. Why does, why does God have you where he has you? You ever wondered that? God, why do you have me here? Well, one of the reasons is to dispel darkness. Now, we're not ever going to know all the reasons why he moves people to this place or that place. But one of the reasons he has you where he has you is to be one of these right here. It's not too familiar with this. To be one of these. To be a light. Now, maybe you work in a place and you're the only Christian. Or you feel like the only Christian. I've worked in those places and it's, it's, a, it's a tough place to be. And sometimes you say, God, why did you put me in this place that's hostile, filled with darkness, and God says, I put you where I put you to dispel darkness. You put a lamp where you do, so it will give light to all who are in the house. Or maybe, um, you know, maybe you are having to cool your heels somewhere, and God says, and we say, man, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to move on. I, let's let's get this let's get this thing underway. And we wonder why does God have me where He has me? We don't know all the answers, but one reason is to be the light of the world, to dispel darkness. We need to be light. Now, a lot of Christians have mixed this up because they read this as saying, Jesus, as Jesus saying, "You're the fire of the world." With some Christians, there's a lot of heat but not very much light. We need to be the light of the world. Now, I want to move on to verse 16. Uh, look at what it says. He says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Reread that with your eyes open. Because if you're like me, my first impression, whenever I read it, I, I, I read, read through several times, and the first impression I had, good works equals light. Is that the way it came across to any of you? And I thought, well, that's an easy application, but look at what he says. He says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So good works are not equal to light. Now, what, what he's saying, I believe, is that good works are important, and we've talked about that a lot, that good works are natural outworking of your faith, and, uh, and and all those things, but but rather good works, uh, light serves to highlight your good works. 
Isn't that what he says? Let your light shine in such a way they'll see your good works and glorify the Father. See, salt and light here are two pictures of the same function as believers. Just like salt was talking about us being a good witness, that's what light is speaking about. This is talking about the function of influencing people around us. It's our testimony about the Lord in the world. Now, we should do good works. It's natural outworking of our faith. I just got through saying that. But we need to let our light shine. We need to be living a life so that our good works will bring glory to God. Said another way, our walk needs to be consistent with our talk. It's easy to go around and tell people about Jesus. It's a lot harder to live it. Because if people hear you saying it, but then your walk doesn't match your talk, people are going to think that you're just a hypocrite and, and dismiss what you have to say. When you let your light shine in this way, you're not going to be taking credit for your good works. People say, oh, that's great, that's wonderful, I'm so impressive you did that. You don't say, well, thanks. I came up with that idea all on my own and, and, and bring glory to yourself. But rather, we're passing that glory along to God. We won't be doing it for the motivation of, of getting men's applause, but rather, people will know that we're doing it because of Him and for Him. Does anybody feel like your light's not too bright? You know, sometimes you get those flashlights and you hit the button... It's just that dim orange glow and it doesn't really help too much. You say, man, that's the way my light is. It's not like one of these LED flashlights. It's just like it's, there's, there's not very much there. There's just a little bit of light. But even a faint light is helpful in the, in the dead of night. So hold on to what you have. Strengthen what remains. Maybe you're not as salty as you should be. Maybe even now you're involved in something that you know is, is not what God wants you to do, and, and it is hurting your testimony. Well, turn around. Go the other way. Be a good witness for Him. Because you are a witness for Christ. You. Me. As a Christian, each of us is. The question is, are we a good one? As I was studying this week, I came across... Uh, a line that I thought was good, and I'll, I'll close with this. He, it said, A disciple of the kingdom who does not live like a disciple of the kingdom is worth about as much as tasteless salt or invisible light. Folks, you're the salt of the earth. Be salty. You're the light of the world, so let your light shine before men. Why don't you stand with me as a musician comes? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just in the choir this time, I'm not here to beat you up. Listen, I'm not casting any stones because I'm... I don't live my life perfectly. I don't claim to. But Jesus says, we're the light of the world. How salty are you? Are you like that salt that's lost its savor? Has your light gotten kind of dim? First 
John, John said, I've written these things that you might not sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He goes on to say that if we'll confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Find that forgiveness today. That's not just for believers. Maybe, maybe you're an unbeliever. You've never made a commitment to following Christ. You've never repented of your sins. The Bible says you stand condemned already. But it also says that if we'll confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, that we'll be saved. And you can be saved today.